we're going to be in Ezekiel 47 and referencing John chapter 4. So turn to Ezekiel 47, actually. And real quick, the question might have come up uh, after tonight. You know, we're finished with this um, seven-day media fast. By, way, uh, by the way, I would encourage you to, um, you know, let that be a regular part of your life in some way. Uh, if you've now noticed that things are noisy, like it doesn't mean like, oh, the fast is over. Now I should create, turn in all the noise again. This isn't a checklist, right? This was meant to be something that would kind of demonstrate to us maybe what things are noisy. So feel free to implement that into your life. But also uh, Tuesday nights, we will still be worshiping through song and praying together at our prayer and worship gatherings on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. right out front. So we invite you to continue to be a part of that. FYI, we will be finishing up this such a time as this quarantine series uh, next week. Then, like Brian said, there will be an important announcement about um, some leadership changes that are happening and that are coming down the pike. And then we will be getting back into our verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians. Before we get into it today, would you just quickly pray with me? I want to ask uh, that God would open our ears to hear what he is saying, see what he's doing. Jesus, it uh, grieves my heart that you can be on the throne. As we just sang about, all hail King Jesus. And we cannot acknowledge your uh, kingship in our own lives. We can maybe acknowledge that you are around, that you're like in the city, in the kingdom even, but not on the throne, certainly some of us not um, giving you supremacy as king. God, forgive us. We want to, need to see you for who you are. We ask that you would open our ears to hear what your Holy Spirit would say to us today. She said so many times, for for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. God, open, please, open our ears to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll get to Ezekiel 47 in just a moment, but uh, first I want to talk about what we've been looking at in John chapter 4. So Jesus meets this woman at the well, right? He's going through Samaria with his disciples. His disciples go off, meets this woman at the well, asks her for a drink. And she's like, why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for a drink? I want to point out this verse in John chapter 4, verse 10. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, Jesus answered this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We haven't talked about the water much in John chapter 4. So she doesn't get it at first, but then they start talking and she eventually her eyes are open. She sees the gift that God has for this living water, sees who Jesus is, drops her bucket that she came to get H2O in and receives the living water 
and goes back, tells her community, and many people come to faith in Jesus. Um, next week, we're going to see a little bit more in detail, but this is really a story of, and a, a movement of God's living water. As the woman receives the living water, and then she brings the living water, and it, it springs forth from her into her community, like Jesus said it would. And then the, the disciples would, would come later and reap this harvest that is now like growing uh, fruit. They would come and reap it like Jesus spoke of in Acts chapter 1. But today we're just going to talk about the water in general. I want to answer these three questions. What is the living water? Where is it flowing? Because it's alive, right? It's living. It must be going somewhere. And what is it for? We will answer these questions as we're going along. But first, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. It says that when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the Garden of Eden and that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. We see at the beginning right here, God's like uh, living, this life-giving rather, this life-giving water in this, this garden. Okay, this is beautiful. But then Adam and Eve sin. And when humanity fell, so did creation fall. Sometimes we don't think about like the fact that all of creation fell. And now it says in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation groans with labor pains, longing for the return of Jesus when he will restore all things like we see in the book of Revelation. If you want to know what it was intended to be like in the beginning, look to the end. Like one of my favorite Bible teachers says, the end is the beginning restored. And in Revelation 22, we see a restored and glorified river. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Then an angel showed me, John is speaking, an angel showed me the river of the water of life. This is, this is the coming kingdom. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Whoo, that's good. This river of water bringing life, provision, and healing in the new kingdom. And then in Ezekiel 47, God shows Ezekiel this river. And this is where we get a little bit more like detail as to exactly what this living water thing is all about and what comes as a result of it. And this is where we're going to spend our time today. This is kind of, it's a little bit of an aside to the John chapter 4 thing, but, but like expounding on this living water thing so that we really get what's in John chapter 4. Plus, I just honestly think that it's a word for us uh, as a church. Ezekiel 34 through 48, okay, so the last whatever that is, 14 chapters or whatever, uh, talk about all about the restoration of God's people when the Messiah comes and creates this new cosmic city full of life and hope. And the imagery Ezekiel uses is so vivid and it's powerful. In the last chapter of the book, 48, Ezekiel calls this new city, the Lord is here. I think it's Yahweh Shammah. This is important because this word, the, the, what he names it, is, is him defining, listen, defining the great characteristic of this city, namely a city of the presence of God. The Lord is here. And one of the things God shows Ezekiel is that there will be an, uh, this, this new temple, this new dwelling place, and from this temple will flow a life-giving, miraculous river. 
Okay, that's what he shows him. We're going to read it right now. Now, it's debated among scholars as to whether this is like an actual temple that's going to be rebuilt or if Ezekiel is using imagery like he does in the rest of the book. Uh, regardless, what happens as a result of this river that flows out of the temple is undeniable. Let's see it now in Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12. He says, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. For all these chapters, there's like, he has this like tour guide. It's crazy. In this vision, this man shows up and he's, he's giving him a tour of all this crazy stuff. In the vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side, okay? The man brought me outside the wall through the north gate and led me around the eastern entrance. There I could see water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Okay, so this water starting to come out of the temple. It's like filling up in the temple and then pouring out through these, these, uh, these gateways, these entrances. Verse three, measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across, okay, across the stream. The water was up to my ankles, he measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. So he's taking him like back and forth over this stream. This time the water was up to my knees. Okay, it's getting deeper. And after another uh, 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. Verse six, he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the river bank. When I returned, I'm sorry, when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. So it's not the stream yet, the river down, downstream, right? Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert, okay? Into the valley of the Dead Sea where everything is dry and dead. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Verse 10, fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, which is crazy if you've ever been to Israel because there ain't no fish in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called dead. All the way from En Gedi to however you say that place, the shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean, but the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kinds, verse 12, will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be food, and the leaves for healing. Just like it said in Revelation 22, for the healing of the nations. Holy cow. This is beautiful, right? This crazy river. Ezekiel 47 tells us what will happen in the new city that gets its name from the presence of God. Like all things in the kingdom, there is both a future fulfillment of this and though a present application of this, right? Yes, the kingdom, uh, including all of this passage, will not be fully fulfilled until Jesus returns. And yet Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 that when you pray, ask the Father to bring that kingdom 
to bring all of that right here and right now on earth as it is and as it will be in heaven. So we pray then, (laughs) yeah, Lord, let that happen here. And then we participate in it however we can. We'll talk more about the participation element next week. But for now, let's just talk about this water. I'm going to use this acrostic spring, S-P-R-I-N-G, spring, as in spring up, oh well, which is the title of this sermon. This is part two, next, uh, part one, next week will be part two. Six things from this acrostic, S-P-R-I-N-G, that I want to point out about this water. Number one, the S is for spirit. The Holy Spirit is the living water. That first question I mentioned, what is the living water? The Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. Jesus said it plainly in John chapter 7. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, listen, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. When we are born again, God gives us his spirit, his living water. This is what Jesus is offering to the woman at the well, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Uh, And as the spirit comes in, he makes us alive. And then the Bible tells us as Christians to be continually always filled with the spirit. We might talk about that a little bit more next week. When we are then continually filled with the Holy Spirit, we are filled with the very presence of God. God is spirit. So when we are talking about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the very presence of God. These waters flow from the temple where the presence of God dwelt. Ezekiel, even as I mentioned, calls this city, the Lord is here. The living water is a river of God's spirit, his very presence. The S is for spirit. Number two, the P in spring is for power. The water, as we saw here, is the source of all power. Everything that happened in this vision came as a result of the water. The Holy Spirit is the source of all power. Jesus said it real plainly to the disciples in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You ever tried to plug in a lamp to a uh, socket that is not connected to electricity? Right? You ever tried to dri- drive a car that uh, does not have an engine in it? Look at this image right here. It's the Flintstones, right? You ever seen the Flintstone car trying to get it moving without any engine in it, just pedaling along? You're just the Flintstones when you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, except unlike them going all fast, you're just trekking along. We need to remember where the power comes from today. We need to remember where the epicenter and the source is. He is the Holy Spirit. For what? The source of what and power for what? The other question I asked at the beginning was, what is the living water for? Look at what happens in the presence of God from Ezekiel 47 here. New life, right? Verses 7 and 9. The water represents the Spirit, very presence of God. He is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings spiritual life to those who are dead and abundant life to those who are already alive. 
This is what happens right now in here. Remember I said, we pray for the kingdom that it's gonna be to come right now. This is what happens in the presence of God right now. Even in Romans 8 says, it is the Holy Spirit who gives life. There is no abundant life for the Christian. There is no new life for the non-believer apart from the presence of God, apart from God's spirit. Next, we see productivity in verse nine of Ezekiel 47 here. The water was producing fruit and making things flourish. Listen, there is no lasting fruit and productivity in the kingdom of God, apart from the power and presence of God. The next thing we see is healing. We saw that in Revelation 22, right? Because this river here is like a, it's a, it's a expounded version of the river we see in Revelation 22 that's coming from the throne of God. Uh, the water in Revelation 22 brought life to the trees and the trees were healing for the nations. It said that here too, that leaves were for healing. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings healing. In the presence of God, there is physical healing, man. Uh, we see this all over the place. The woman walked by Jesus, touching the hem of his garden. Didn't even touch him. What that's always showed me is like, sometimes you just gotta get near to God. Just in the presence of God and you can be healed. There's mental healing. There was obviously spiritual healing. There was emotional healing, relational healing, racial healing. Next, we see cleansing and purification in verse 8 of uh, Ezekiel 47. This water was cleansing the salty waters of the Dead Sea. The Spirit of God cleanses and purifies that which is unclean, corrupted, salty, or bitter, even things that seem impossible to clean or purify. Just like some of our uh, lives and situations, they are seemingly too far gone. The Dead Sea could not, cannot become unsalty or purified or undead apart from the miraculous power of God. But this is what he does. Speaking of the miraculous, miracles is the next thing that we see coming from this living water in verses eight through 12. Dead Sea is becoming fresh right? New crops every single month. Healing leaves. These are miracles. The Spirit of God ushers in the miraculous. Miracles are possible in the presence of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Next, we see provision. Ezekiel 47 verse 12, right? It says that the river gave life to the trees and those trees were good for food. They were good for food and there was always enough food on the branches. All the poor people say with me, amen. Come on, all the poor people, us, you too, Megan, say amen. 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 We're not poor, actually. You live in America, dude. You're among the 1% richest people on the planet. But all the people who were worried about finances say amen. Amen, right? God will always provide for us. What's crazy is that the Holy Spirit uh, provides sustenance for us that is beyond the physical. All the things we worry about, he actually provides for us beyond what we can see and touch. And then lastly, what we see here in, in Ezekiel 47, this is not an exhaustive list, obviously, of everything that happens in the presence of God, but we see here salvation in verse 10. Notice that the fishermen's nets are lying out to dry because the bank, uh, on the banks because they've just caught fish. Okay, now this is obviously in the new kingdom talking about fish, actual like food in the new kingdom. But I can't escape the fact that Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, that I will make you fishers of men. Where the water of God's spirit goes, there is a harvest of souls that his people will bring into his kingdom. 
John 16 says it's the Holy Spirit that leads people to the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit gives life, as it says in Romans. He alone brings salvation. What does this living water do? What is it for this, all of this? It's what happens in the presence of God. This is what happens as a result of this living water going out. Number three, the R is for recipients. The R is for recipients. The R in spring is for recipients. God's people are the first recipients of his living water. The third question that I asked was, where does this living water flow? If it's living, if it's alive, then it's gotta be on the move. It's gotta be going somewhere. Well, there's two parts to it. It flows into us and it flows from us. Before there can ever be a flowing from though, there has to be a pouring into recipients. This is what Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4 that we've seen. He said to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water, the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Listen, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We are recipients. In Ezekiel's vision, the living water filled the temple first and then began pouring out. Well, guys, God's presence does not dwell in a physical temple anymore. God's presence dwells in his people. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. This is where the application of this Ezekiel 47 thing for our own present life starts to become very real. Because God's presence uh, is not filling a building. It is filling us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christian, you are a carrier of God's presence. Now this filling of the spirit is both speaking of salvation, right? When the spirit comes uh, into you. You are born again, you are made alive. But then there is the upon that is spoken of when Jesus said the spirit will come upon you. By the way, if you have not heard uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, sermon from our Holy Spirit series or the being filled with the Holy Spirit sermon from our Holy Spirit series, you need to go listen to those. Those will give you a lot more clarity. Uh, Put the link here, realityventura.com slash sermons, search Holy Spirit. So this here, this filling is, is, and this indwelling is both talking about salvation and the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit, right? Living water in us. We are the recipients then first, which means, guys, that all of this good stuff we just talked about, the life and the provision beyond even our physical means and healing and all of that, man, it's for us. It's for you. Believe that. Walk in that. Like Jesus said, pray for that part of God's kingdom to come. And where does, so where does the water flow? Into us, and as we'll see in a minute, then from us. But before we get to that, um, I just want to mention the I in, in spring. The I is for immersion. It's kind of a, the next step of this recipients thing is the immersion thing. God wants to fully immerse his people in the water of his spirit. To fully receive means to be fully immersed. That's what Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1-5. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptize literally means to fully immerse. 
When Ezekiel first stepped into the water in verse three, did you notice that it was only up to his ankles? It was an ankle deep stream. This is where some of us live with God. And as far as it relates to the presence of God and to the power and presence of the spirit in our lives, ankle deep. But God is not wanting us to stop there. He is wanting us to go to the knees and then to the waist, verse five. And then verse six, so high that you can only swim which means that it is further than the waist. Uh, It must at least come up to the chest. And as I read this, it just reminded me that God wants to invade our hearts. His presence wants to invade our hearts. There are, gosh guys, there's idols living in our hearts um, that we are actually nurturing in there because we don't don't realize that they are the ones that are dictating our passions. our desires, our affections, our goals, instead of the the presence, the spirit of God. I think that for some of us, comfort is sitting on the throne of our hearts. And so we make decisions then based on comfortable. Like, does that, that feels uncomfortable. I will stay away from that. I was talking with someone yesterday just as a joke. They were like, uh, when I go like hike in the mountains, I'm uncomfortable the next day. And so that tells me I should just stay on my couch, right? That's, that's a joke, but that's the kind of thing we do even with God. Man, for some of us, politics are sitting on the throne of our hearts, dictating um, how we feel, um, defining the, the kinds of ways that we're moving and even the things that we're thinking. Safety, our need and desire to be safe and fear, those things sit on our hearts the need to please ourselves, the need to be in the know. I gotta have the right answers. These things actually become idols. Now, none of these things you would ever be like, oh, that's an idol, it's gotta be torn down. And yet when it's sitting on the throne of our hearts, dictating our affections, it actually becomes our functional God. But God wants to invade our hearts with his living water. So those things are just like, like taken off the throne and put in their right place under Jesus. But it's not just the idols in the heart. It's idols in the mind too, because you can still stand and even walk in chest deep or even shoulder deep water, right? But this water was so high that Ezekiel couldn't even walk, it said. He could only swim. I believe that God is reminding us today that he doesn't only want the heart, he wants our minds. He is wanting to transform and renew our minds as it says in Romans 12. He wants to override logic, and intellect and head knowledge of him. He wants to immerse us in his spirit and invade our minds to reframe our limited understanding of him, to get away with that limited understanding and expand our understanding of who he is and what he might be doing even in our world right now. And because there is healing in his presence in this living water, when you are immersed in him full of the Holy Spirit, man, there can even be healing for the mind there, even on like a, physiological level, God can do that stuff. Brain trauma, toxic belief systems that define the way we see everything. There is healing in the presence of God for that. But when water keeps on rising or you keep on going deeper to the point where it gets so deep that you can't walk, you can only swim, um, it requires a lot of faith and trust and surrender when it's talking about the presence of God. This is like a full abandon to God, like a giving up of control. You ever jumped in the deep end of a river that's flowing? Like you, you can't fight that. You gotta be like, all right, river, I'm yours, <laughs> right? 
And as I prayed for the church this week, I felt so clearly God say to me, but Don, not everyone in my church will receive the full immersion. And that's what the N is for. Not everyone. Jesus said that the gate to enter his kingdom is narrow. To enter the fullness of his kingdom, man, that gate is narrow. It's the same here. There he's talking about salvation, obviously, but man, to fully get into the kingdom, not everyone will want to go deep. It's too unknown. It's too out of their control. Some will only splash around in the water ankle deep and are content to do so. I think this is the person who says, like, I might read my Bible, but I'm not going to do all the stuff in the Bible. At least not the things that are uncomfortable or that I don't understand or that require a lot of faith. I'm going to give when it's convenient. I'm going to serve when it's convenient, when it fits my schedule. I'm going to live in a way that fits inside of my box that I have for God in my own life. I'm going to pray enough to feel really good about myself or what, at least kind of good about myself, but not so much that it's laborsome, you know. I'm going to read the, the written word with my intellect, but not so much that I begin to experience the living word with my whole being. This ankle deep thing is the kind of Christianity I believe that splashes around in worldly living with a facade of Christianity. I'm just gonna walk in the ankle deep water, but I'm not gonna fully dive in. Jesus on Sundays, you know, for a couple of hours, but not during the week when I'm more concerned about my life becoming better and um, prosperity in my life and my body getting healthy and having fun and experiencing fun and even things like community. It's like that becomes God sometimes for us. I'm going to splash around in the presence of God, but I'm just going to look for relationships. We end up uh, splashing around in the presence of God at the expense of actually being disconnected to the fullness of who he is. I'm going to splash around in him, but I'm actually going to be way more concerned with my political views and my, my citizenship as an American rather than my citizenship as a, of the kingdom. And we've all been there, man. Some of us are there right now, though, splashing around this ankle-deep water of God. Deep enough for it to feel refreshing. But it's so nice. But not so deep as to give up control. And God in his grace may allow this, splashing around in the ankle-deep water. But we need to pray for people like this, that they would not be blind to the glory and goodness of that full immersion into God's presence and spirit because notice that the amazing fruitfulness and life and food and healing only came 6,000 feet over a mile down the stream when it became a river. Not when it was a stream, when it was a river so deep that Ezekiel couldn't walk anymore. And some of us will not splash at all they will be like the marshes and swamps of verse 11. Close enough to the water to be wet, but not so close that they are alive, pure, or fruitful. They were still salty, it said. I think in the new eternal city, these marshes will forever remind us of where we came from. But sadly, some people are here right now. And it breaks my heart, man. But I've had to realize this week that... Uh, some people are just going to be there and they might not ever 
even jump into the ankle deep water, much less the deep end. And there's gonna be some distance there, right? There's gonna be some distance. Like from the ankle deep water to the deep water is just a mile, dude. When you yell to someone a mile away, they can't even hear you. There's a disconnect there. I don't know what to do about that. It's sad, but it is what it is. And for those of us who will venture into the deep, it will require trust and surrender. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, whoever wants me to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. He's talking about dying to our own desires and comfort and, comfort and all that stuff. Because the surrendered life following Jesus is a life of giving up things like security and safety and comfort giving up idols, even ones that seem like a worthwhile investment of our time and energy in order to fully surrender because you can't tiptoe through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel said that the water was too deep to walk in. Like I said, man, you ever tried to swim in a river that's too deep to walk in? You're not in control anymore. You can't. Now it's God's river. It's his spirit. So you don't actually have anything to be afraid of, but we uh, idolize comfort and control so much that it sounds terrifying to us. But if we would like Peter, just jump out of the boat, dude. You think the boat's safety. It's not safety. Jesus is in the water on the waves. That sounds crazy. How can that be safe? Because Jesus is there. That's how it's safe. Sorry, dude. Jesus isn't in the boat. He's on the water. And for those of us who will receive this full immersion of God's spirit, springs of living water will gush forth from us, which is what the G is for. Gush forth. The water flows into and from God's people. Jesus said the living water will become a spring. That's the cool thing about springs. They spring forth. I partly answered the question earlier. I'll fully answer it now. Where does the water flow? Into and from us. John 7, verses 37 and 38, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Remember, we are now the temple of God's spirit. We are carriers of his presence. And in Ezekiel's vision, the water didn't just fill the temple. It was pouring out of the temple. We are not just filled with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants to pour forth from us. This is why it's called a spring because it springs forth. This song that we sing with the kids, man, this is not child's play. That song is so gnarly. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk. What? That's this river. It makes the blind to see the river that's flowing out of me makes blind people see. It opens prison doors and sets the captives free. Spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well. And I honestly think that's part of what God is doing in this season. I'll, I'll start stopping now. He wants to, to fill us 
and then pour forth from us. Like I said, you are a carrier of God's presence. And he, I believe, is pushing even his church outside of the four walls of the church physically and, and philosophically and spiritually and practically and in the way that we think and in our hearts. He's pushing us outside of the four walls of the church to carry his presence into our community because the church can become pretty safe, right? It's like the ankle deep water for some of us. It's so refreshing to just do what we always did though. God is not wanting to be confined to our boxes and our church buildings. I have a sense that God is actually using our government, unbeknownst to them, to push us outside of our communities and to, to break the church out of our boxes that we try to keep God's power and presence in. Yes, God is where we all dwell together. And yes, we can experience him in the, ga the, the gathering. But have you ever read the Bible? We do not gather to gather. We gather to gather and then scatter. When a lake is dammed up, now I'll really start to finish. When a lake is dammed up, the lake only supplies life to the vegetation that is right around the lake. But listen, when that dam starts to break and those same waters flow out, then that life starts to be brought to places beyond the lake. For everyone who comes into the church building, they may experience the life-giving presence of God. But when the walls of the church start coming down and God's people are pushed out into the streets, then the streets begin to flourish with that life-giving presence of God that is in us. And people who would have never come into the church building are then beginning to come in contact with God's presence and life through us out there. But a dam doesn't break from ankle-deep water. Gushing forth doesn't happen from playing in the kiddie pool of God's presence. The church has splashed around in ankle-deep water for far too long. And it's time to receive the full immersion of God's spirit upon our lives. To jump into the deep end with full abandon. And then he will gush forth from our lives. Break down those dams and pour out to those around us. Now, I understand that this is not a word that everyone can receive today. Some people are going to stay in the marshes. Some people stay in the ankle-deep water. But for those of us who will receive, I would like to pray for us. Would you open your hands now? Pray this with me. Holy Spirit of God, come. Living water pour out. Spring up, oh well. Come, Lord. Come wake up your people. Come awake us from our sleeping. Come wake up our souls, oh God. If I was in a dead sleep and someone put a little water on my feet, I wouldn't wake up. But if they poured water all over me, I would wake up. Holy Spirit, come. Come immerse us in all of you. During this first song, whatever this looks like for you as a prayer, just pray it to him. 
use your own words. You know, for me, it's like these last couple of weeks, man, I've been like, Lord, I'm jumping off that boat <laughs> where it seems so safe. And I'm just jumping into the ocean of your presence where it's terrifying because the boat seems so safe and I like safe. But I want to be where you are and you're not on the boat. You will not be confined to the walls of a boat. <laughs> oh, your love is endless. Your presence is endless. Jumping into the ocean, God. Where all I can do is swim in the glory of your presence. But for you, use whatever words you want to use and just surrender to him and for the people who are splashing around in the ankle deep water, all I can say is, man, it's, it's so good in the deep end, guys. You don't have to be afraid. Do not try to gain the world and lose your soul. Don't waste your life, man. It's a waste. Oh, it's a waste. When you go to the, the river and your friends are only splashing around in the ankle deep water, and you're like, it's so good down here. It's just one mile down. It's so good. I'm telling you, it's so good. It's so good. 